welcome to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce. And once again, I'm joined by Zach, among others. Zach, how are you? I'm fantastic, Pierce. How are excellent, you? Excellent. Excellent. We've also got uh, Paul on the podcast, the Paulcast. How are you? Well, I spent the afternoon rewatching the Illinois game, so not great. Ooh, gross. Okay. <laughs> ben, Ben's joining us as well. Ben, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, doing all right. Same boat as Paul, though. Uh, was feeling great earlier. Then I watched Sick the game. Ass. Now not doing so well. <laughs> well, yeah. Once what it once was probably enough. We appreciate you all sacrificing that uh, for in the sake of analysis and conversation. But uh, if you're listening to this, you probably also watched the game uh, where the, the the Wahoos dropped a road contest uh, decisively uh, on uh, in, in Champaign, Illinois, to the Fighting Illini. So, uh, Paul, you know, in this uh, rewatch that you just went through, it, it's easy to go with they're bad. <laughs> So, so let's get that out of the way. Uh, what, what in the disappointment was the most, uh, this is sort of leading because I think the answer is obvious, but talk to me about some surprising disappointments. Let's start with like the real low, low things, things that went wrong that, you know, we weren't expecting to go wrong so much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the 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 takeaway I've I got after going through it a little bit more carefully is it was it was a bad day for everybody to have a bad day, all at once. Um, that I was most disappointed with the offensive line, and that's obviously mm-hmm. going to carry some of my own personal biases baked into it. Um, but a a combination of play calling or execution. Decisions that mirror some of the worst of the last couple of years, um, specifically going long on third down when you need, you know, there weren't that many situations where the offense only needed four or five yards on third down. uh, But when they faced that or when they had third or fourth down, that was short. Uh, There was a lot of trying to get 20 when you needed five. Um, And that was Hmm. something that I always felt was, was one of the, real problems of the Anai offense was, was that was when the offense would start to sort of shoot itself in the foot. So um, combination of, of bad offensive line play with, so not giving Armstrong time to go through progressions, but also, you know, even going back and, and sort of rewatching a play three or four times with the, the benefit of, of on demand. Um, yeah. There were times that even if he went through his progressions, it's everybody was 15 yards further than they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, uh, not a real awareness of space either in either in whether it's in play call design or guys not being where they're supposed to, I'm not sure, but, um, sort of seeing old problems still there with the new problems of a really bad offensive line. Um, I think that's sort of my, my takeaway of what was most disappointing. I, I, I am a little bit less pessimistic than I was in the immediate aftermath. I think there is a lot more that's fixable. Okay. Okay. We'll get into some of that. Uh, ben, you want to chime in with uh, something that surprised you? Yeah, I think having this offense, which has been so good at generating explosive plays for so long, uh, especially this past season, uh, mm. and you have Brendan Armstrong, same quarterback, and you have pretty much the same core of receivers. You got Dontavian Wicks, Billy Kemp, Lavelle Davis, obviously 
big addition. And I think they were committed to just airing the ball out all game, even when it was clear that it wasn't working. Yeah. I guess I was just surprised by how much they continued to lean on that. Um, they threw 19 passes over 10 air yards, completed mm-hmm. four of those, and threw two interceptions. And with the exception of that one big play, 62 yards down the sideline, you get a total of 66 yards on those 18 plays, which is horrible, especially from a quarterback in an offense that's been so, so good at getting the ball down yeah. the field. And it must have, it has to do with the quarterback, as Paul hit on the offensive line, breaking down, making those throws more difficult for Brennan. And the receiver's not winning one-on-one. But the combination of those three things was just so surprising for a team that hung massive amounts of points and tons of deep completions on this Illinois team just a year ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, right there with you. I, th- I I think watching Brennan throw, you know, prayers to guys who were covered was was happened a lot. To, you know, to me, like it wasn't just like one play here or there. I, I just remember sitting there going, like, what is he seeing? Maybe it's you know, I got to get rid of the ball, you know, like as, as soon as possible. So there's probably a lot to it, but. Zach, what are what are you feeling walking away from uh from this first loss? Yeah, I mean, I echo everything that everybody else said. I think Brennan specifically had two misses on potential touchdown throws to I believe um to make Starling and, and Grant Mish. I mean, I don't know if Mish would have made it to the end zone, but where he threw that short and then also missed uh Starling short and t- sort of turned it into a jump ball at like the eight yard line rather than like actually hitting him. Mm. Um into the end zone I thought the defense was better than expected I mean they they let up plenty of yards but I thought the secondary did Mm. really well tackling I thought Mm -hmm. that in open field situations um guys approached well and made good strong tackles the Mm d-line got there in the second half I think three or four sacks strip fumble from Cam Butler that was huge Mm -hmm. four turnovers is a lot and other than that Antonio Clary uh dropped pick you know they made plays and and really there's only like a couple of specific plays where it felt like they messed up and that was the wheel okay. route for the, t- the touchdown to their tight end yeah um which looked like it was on Josh Ahern and that's what the the commentator was saying it was really on Anthony Johnson for following a guy they, they were in zone following a guy to the middle of the field mm. but that's what Elliot said today that's what Elliot said today um and then and then um cypress got beat on the sideline deep it was decent coverage he got beat on the double move but he at least was there and then they got completely tricked by play action on the goal line there only letting up 17 points though considering i know illinois doesn't really have the wide receivers um and, and their quarterback you know not a huge threat but still on the ground i know we left a lot of yards but the defense didn't necessarily break and especially in the second half, gave the offense a chance. Obviously, everyone, nothing went well on offense. But at least the defense is showing signs of being able to sort of, if this if this defense that played against Illinois was a defense for last season, we're probably looking at eight and four rather than six and six. Obviously, problems like with the offense. But I thought that at least the defense looks better. And then if the offense can figure out how to play around the offensive line, easier said than done they could at least the defense isn't going to be catastrophic. All right. Well, Paul, what, it, what do you attribute some of this to, you know, I, like it can't just be the O-line played poorly. 
or can it? I think it is. I mean, that's yeah. there was. I, it, this is again sort of the was it execution or scheme? That, that's sort of always the question, and, and it's especially this early in a new coaching staff, it's hard to tell because you know we've we've had one game where we've seen potentially you, you could say we've seen the scheme executed well, and but that's against Richmond. It's not against you know FBS cal- caliber competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's that's why I'm just sort of being a bit hesitant in what I'm chalking it up to. Um, I just, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I went through some of, um, PFFs snap counts of the guys that transferred off of this offensive line and what mm-hmm. they're doing now. Um, you know, Olu Oluwatimi is the highest rated blocker for a Michigan offensive line that is probably one of the top two or three in the country. Mm-hmm. Bobby Haskins has split almost exactly 50, 50, all of the sp- the snaps at left tackle for USC Ryan Swoboda has played almost every snap at right tackle for, for UCF and graded out pretty well. And Joe Bissinger is the top graded blocker for SMU. Now, you know, SMU and UCF, again, those are, you know, group of five teams, but from what we've seen so far, teams that might be able to give UVA runs, but we're even taking that away. You've got these guys that are stepping into other programs as immediate leading contributors and you look at the UVA offensive line and go, yeah, it's, it's, it's communication on blitz pickup. It is being a step late or a step slow. Um, I was very disappointed in the performance of John Paul Flores as, as the guy that's supposed to be sort of the experienced leader of this offense, of the offensive line group. Um, there was a lot of seeming to be out of position or not. This, they don't seem very... It's, it's a group that doesn't seem to do well when they're passive. Um, they they mm-hmm. were better when you see them doing things of, of there's more sort of zone block, stretch block when they're getting out, when they were pulling you know, a couple of the big runs that Xavier Brown had were when they were bringing two linemen, you know, around on sort of a power or a sweep concept. So when these guys get active and get aggressive they were pretty decent as as run blockers the issues were really in pass protection where they're they're, that's relying more on communication and relying more on catching what's coming at you so i i i'm hoping that that a little bit of improvement along with recognizing what they do well in the scheme can can both help all right zach you got something I also think, you know, you mentioned John Paul Flores. I thought Ty Furness, like, listen, it's his second career start. He's a, you know, true sophomore, I believe. But, I mean, he he did not have a good game against Illinois. That one snap in the first quarter that went back, like, 30 yards, had another fault or had a false start on, I believe, fourth and one in the third quarter where it looked like if UVA converted that, they could have at least gotten something going. And then he also just, in, in protection, when he had a one-on-one matchup in his face, he was consistently losing that. And that's pressure right up the middle. At least when you have pressure from the tackles, assuming that you can push guys to the outside, Brennan can step up into the pocket. But Fernand was just getting beat straight up, especially when Illinois, you know, used their five-man fronts to actually rush five guys. And that meant that Brennan all of a sudden had pressure right in his lap. And there was really nothing that he could do except just get the ball out. And I think that, you know, you would hope that with Flores next to him, there would be a little bit more stability there. Um, and the coaching staff, I know the coaching staff is going to talk up whoever they put into their starting spots, but the coaching staff was talking Furnish up as this guy who beat out Justice 
Johnson for the starting center spot. And it really just hits home how much this team misses Oulu, even if they just had him. And I know him going to Michigan, that was absolutely the right call of any of the O-linemen. Him going to Michigan makes sense. But any of the linemen who left, it makes sense that he went to Michigan. But if he was on this offense, man, things would be so much easier. Um, and it's just tough because you don't want to – I don't want to crap on Ty Furnish. He's only in his second year, second start. But that was not a good performance from, from him. And he's going to have to be a lot better if they want to actually be able to do some things with this offense beyond just throwing slants and trying to get the ball out quick, which they also didn't do enough of. They didn't get easy completions. They didn't try to get easy completions. I mean, they did, but it, not enough. And it's sort of like – man, why can't we get these all-star wide receivers just running some shorter routes and just trying to move the sticks a little bit in that second quarter when it is 21 to three? You know, I mean, you have that one Brennan rollout for Lavelle Davis, but it's just like, why can't we generate just some, you know, schematically you can generate stuff open. I'm not the the X's and O's master, but, you know, (laughs) there's something there. Yes, that's, that was, Illinois was playing extremely physical with its corners, which means if you're going to try and play something deep, you've got to have a lot more protection. It was, it was really infuriating to watch how little they were trying to develop on crossing or, or things over the middle. Um, you know, when, when Michigan had that thing, back to the Michigan Ohio state game a few years ago, when Michigan had that, nobody could do anything on them defense because they were playing Don Brown, same way press, get up in your face on the cover, on the corners, Ohio state ran mesh until Michigan quit it just straight quit that. And, and to have guys like Billy Kemp and as fast as Starling and Wicks and, and as strong as guys like Thompson are to not have, there was one play I remember in, in, I think it was the third quarter that on a a conversion to Keaton Thompson, they basically ran Mish and another receiver off to the right and Thompson underneath them. It was absolutely a pick play, but it, and it worked and it got them the yards that they needed. And that's, that's the sort of schematic. Why wasn't it, why wasn't the scheme designed to do that? Knowing that Illinois is coming in, you know, you've got a year of tape on Illinois to know what they're going to do on defense why isn't that part of it or why isn't Brennan checking into it if he's given the reins on the field? Uh, it's a lot of alluding to what you were saying, Ben, earlier about like the, the type of plays they were doing. So, you know, can you talk a little bit more about if if a team comes out similarly, because it seems like there's a good blueprint on what to do to Virginia, at least for right now, what, how, how is the offense going to need to adjust? Yeah, well, I think, like Illinois really hit on something here with that. They're going to come out with these five man fronts where you're not sure which guys are going to be rushing, which gave the offensive line, which we know is inexperienced and we know is confused a lot of trouble. And you're going to come up and you're going to play really physical on UVA's wide receivers. And this sort of like bump and run man press, you're going to make Virginia's receivers beat you. And you're going to prevent Brendan Armstrong from being able to just sit back there all day, create confusion and take away those deep routes that Virginia loves either by stopping the guys from getting open or by getting to Brennan Armstrong before he can even throw the ball. And what was so confusing is that they kept just going back to those same slow breaking, long developing routes. And they kept letting Brennan just sit in the pocket without doing anything to kind of take advantage of a really aggressive Illinois defense. So as Paul was hitting on, you got to run mesh, you got to run crossers. 
And I mean, you can even get more creative. I'm looking at the PFF right now and Virginia didn't run a single screenplay apparently, or at least not one successful one, Hmm. like get some of those in there, run some draws. Maybe, I don't know. You have all these talented playmakers, get them the ball in space, throw a bubble screen to Billy Kemp, whatever. You got to do something to stop Illinois from just pinning their ears back and playing so aggressive. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like a program institutional uh, tenant. Like we're not allowed to run screenplays uh, here at UVA. That seemed to, I, I can't. Hands. I don't know when the oh god <laughs> or offensive tackles. Yeah, uh, offensive <laughs> yeah. tackles. God, come on. <laughs> um, can we talk? <laughs> can we talk a little bit about running a ball? Running the ball. I mean, we saw so much. You know, I know Illinois is a different team than Richmond, but um, that was a big story coming out of the 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 week one victory, and not so much a story. Uh, coming out of, out of this loss, I don't know what it what what do you see um, whether it be in that scheme or just the the well I guess a better opponent. What what got away from the who's there, Paul? Yeah, it's um, so I, hard to tell how much of it's situational. Of of yeah, they weren't. They only had twenty four rushing plays um that were you know designed runs as as opposed to um or, or plays that were meant to be running other than than sacks um generating a total of 81 yards um mm-hmm. that's that's no bueno um i it's relying on sort of some of bill Connolly's uh advanced analytic box score um yards before contact per rush negative 0.6 yards not good that's that's very not good um so i that's again a reflection of, of the offensive line and I'll, I'll stop banging that drum at some point um there, but i think there is some on on the running backs there were there were times that they if they had been just a half second more patient there were cutbacks or or allowing some of the zone blocking to um to do what it's supposed to do that, that there were more cutback lanes there were more lanes open um so it's it's easy to understand why especially a fairly inexperienced backfield um when the offense is down when the offense hasn't been doing much starts to press a little bit and, and i think elliot alluded to this too was talking about they were that they were sort of starting to press and, and he really didn't like how the mentality responded um, trying to do too much, trying to get a little bit too aggressive when what what that type of blocking needs is patience. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think there were, like I said, there were, there were definitely times that when they tried to run it straight, um, the running backs were, were getting met right at the line. But when they were, which is 100% on the offensive line, but when the offensive line was executing on some of those more sort of stretch um stretch developing type run plays I, I saw the running backs just running straight into their assigned hole as opposed to reading it at all uh, so hopefully that's something that that is a sort of comes with time comes with understanding what the guys in front of them are doing um, and and we'll see a little bit of improvement there Elliot also said there were a couple of designed um, decide plays that you know we, we think of them as, as sort of read option um, where Brennan just made the wrong wrong choice uh and, and that was pretty obvious from the rewatch too um mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. you know so there, there were there were yards to be gotten on the ground mm-hmm. um and that that i think was a very much 
new lots of new guys learning to play a new scheme and learning to play together um that that i that's what i'm more optimistic about the it's going to take a little bit of time all right so zach can you tell me a little bit more about coach elliott's response uh since the game uh you know to to some of these issues yeah i mean he had his his uh weekly presser earlier today and i think just from like sort of a more um a broader scale rather than sort of the individual play-by-play sort of stuff. He just sort of talked about how there wasn't much positive response. There wasn't a lot of sort of rallying of the troops mentality. Nobody was really willing to sort of say, Hey guys, like, let me, let me put us on our, on my back and, and, and let's go. We talked about sort of how Keaton Thompson was really the only guy on offense who was trying to do that. And that Brennan, that he like Elliot even pushed Brennan to sort of be like, come on, like, you know, get this thing going and then he'd miss a pass and it just sort of fell apart a little bit there. Um, mm. And I think he just talked about, you know, he talked about just a lack of um, ability to sort of handle adversity and how the team sort of just slumped off. He talked about the receivers in particular, how as the game got going, they sort of abandoned their technique, especially when getting off of press coverage and they abandoned, um, you know, trying to actually, <laughs> you know, run solid routes. Um, and and, and he, he just sort of stressed like uh, how in the practice lead or the week of practice leading into the, into the game, it just seemed like the team was happy with where they were. Um, and like mm-hmm. the players, and listen, this is probably as much on Elliot as it is the players. So I, I don't know how fair it is necessarily of him to talk about how um, the players were, you know, happy after the Richmond game and, and it's sort of how Monday was a bad practice after about Wednesday being a bad practice leading in and just sort of how there was some complacency there um and that said that Monday and Tuesday have been sort of the two best practices they've had in a while um which makes some sense uh <laughs> and I think that he's he, he didn't seem you know necessarily all that downtrodden like you know he talked about sort of this first loss as, as a head coach he even put out a joy in the morning um so oh, no yeah <laughs> um but yeah you know I, I think his his sort of conclusions were more you know broad than than individual I think it makes sense to trust that the receivers and Brennan Armstrong will get back on track he talked about how there's quote-unquote some stuff that him and Des Kitchens can do to alleviate some some of the the issues on the offensive line which I think we've talked about but hopefully that's beyond just a press conference answer Mm -hmm. um and so I mean you know uh, there were some one some random notes from the press conference um one thing that's interesting is that they, they were switching the tackles around a lot. And I know this is completely off topic, but, but I wanted to actually ask Paul about that because, because they were switching around Bowley, Taylor and Leach a lot. And I'm not hundred percent sure if that's because Leach is still banged up. Um, and, and I don't know what answer maybe Paul has for this, but th- there was some inconsistency there and it seemed like um, Bowley was playing left and then they bring in Leach, put him on the right and then Taylor on the left and then, there, there was just some some weird stuff going on there, and so I'm not 100% sure what that's about, and, and that could have played into so, sort of some of the offensive line struggles, um, especially with just how that went play to play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, Elliot was just – I don't know. It, it's not super inspiring, just sort of the practice didn't go well. They were too complacent. Hopefully that he, he can sort of fill into that. 
um, role of getting people going again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not inspired by the offensive coaching staff after week, uh, week two. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't see anything particularly consistently different uh, of, of when those guys moved around. So it, yeah. you know, it, it could be one of those things that it's somebody does get banged up, they turn their ankle or, you know, whatever. And, and you've got to try and slide things around. But I completely agree with you that then when you're trying to have a unit where cohesion cohesion is as important as it is on the offensive line, you've got these guys who have basically never played together and then you're shuffling pieces around You're just, you know, it's, it's always kind of a fine line for, for coaches to walk of, I don't like what I'm seeing out of my offensive line. How much should I shake it up versus what I'm seeing from my offensive line is that they haven't played enough together. Uh, and so you're, it's, it's one of those weird chemistry things. Um, so yeah, I, it's a good point and a good observation. I just, I wasn't, I, I did not pick up on anything that was when it was group a, they were doing one thing when it was a group B, they were doing another. Um, I, I, if it appears, if you don't mind me throwing a question out to, to the group, um, one of the things Elliot talked about in his, his press conference was, trying to teach the offensive players when he says this isn't last year it's not just don't rest on your laurels but it's also a lot of commentary about last year there was a lot of freelancing in the offense and this year there's a lot more structure just trying to to what other folks sort of of thought of thought of that type of of comment of hey you know we still want you to be a playmaker but be a playmaker the way we're telling you to as opposed to just going out and making it up. Um, I don't know if, if someone else had, had a, a take on that. You know, to some extent, I think he has a point in that it's much easier to game plan when your players are playing within the system and they're not going out freelancing, kind of playing the backyard football style. I don't know, making it up as they go. But the problem with that is that last year, obviously, this was a top five offense. And this year they have not proven so far that they're a top five offense and they haven't shown that they're anything remotely resembling a top five offense. And I worry that urging your players to fall or to fall back on a system and a structure that is so clearly delivering results that are much worse so far than what last year's system looked like um, could be negative. Um, I'm not sure how the players would respond to that, especially those who saw how successful the team was with the more free-flowing system last year. I was sort of curious about that, that comment. Like I never, I never really saw last year as like a, uh, like a just playing backyard football out there and just like, you know, if anything, there was so much intricate movement on the offense. It seemed like it was, explicitly choreographed you know like if if you're gonna i I don't know i'm i never played football so i'll take their word for it but at least your point ben i think is is well put like that was an offense that had great success so why are you coming out and saying like we're proving upon it by changing it i don't know it's also a matter of sort of those slow developing plays i I mean listen the, the point that elliot might be trying to make is 
hey, look at our offensive line this year compared to last sure, year. We can't sure. run Robert and I's offense. Sure. But at the same time, as Ben has said, why are you running intricate, long passing plays when you know that Brennan's getting pressure after two seconds? Like, it, there's just a little bit of inconsistency here. Of, yeah. Okay, so if it's not last year's offense, then let's run the 6-7 Lavelle Davis Jr. across the middle and throw the ball out to him so that he can bring it in. And let's just get some easy yards here. Well, also, I mean you know it, it just it, it doesn't seem right whatever it, you know the the difference in in offenses or game plans started out to be one thing that is is clear to everyone like we're saying is that the adjustments weren't there and that you can attribute to all kinds of uh things on the sideline i would say but uh what are what are some reasons for hope any you know, uh, football team all encompassing, but I would, you know, I want to keep talking about the offense. Like what, uh, I mean, the easy one is Armstrong can't have a bad game every week. Right. Or was he just a system quarterback? Is that what you guys are saying? Brandon Armstrong ain't played nobody. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's, there is, that's, I, what I said at the top was sort of, it was a bad day for everybody to have a bad day. Like I, that's, this is the first road game at a power five opponent of a brand new head coach with a whole bunch of turnover on the roster. Um, I'm I, it was gross to watch. It was not fun to watch, especially in the second half. Um, but that's, that's the optimism. The way the defense played, there is, optimism that if the offense gets back to not what we saw last year but gets into its own rhythm finds itself and i think there's there is some coaches have to get to know the players as much as the players have to get to know the coaches system that what what are those what is it that the adjustments should have been um how is it that 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 what it what are the things that make players tick that coaches can pull on in pregame and at halftime of of okay I've now I've seen what it looks like when these players start to press and I know how to cut that off before it starts I, so I think there's there's sort of that feeling out um, that's that's gonna happen um, yeah I don't think Tony Elliott is a all all sizzle no state coach I don't think he's the kind he doesn't the watching the way that he I know that in the preseason I was talking one of my big worries was seeing a lot of generic coach speak from him but watching him in post game being able to talk tactics and talk individual plays while also talking about values and system and philosophy um there is actually I I see a lot of how Tony Bennett talks about game performance in how Tony Elliott talks about game performance. And so that's, that's one of my reasons for optimism is, is he's got to learn to be a coach. He's got to learn how to be a coach for these players. Um, but that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as stomach churning upset as I was. Okay. Yeah. I, I think Paul, Paul hit most of the points. I think that the fact that the secondary is not horrible is good. I mean, I, I just got the, <laughs> the sort of game book they give us uh give the give the press and virginia's grade for defensive coverage against receivers after the first two games was 90.8 out of 100 according to pff 
All that's right. not all too shabby. And, and, and I mean, Richmond had, um, I'm blanking on the same, but the one VMI transfer as a receiver who, who, who broke a lot of records. I don't necessarily know who Illinois had. It's not like they had a, a Josh Downs, but um, the secondary solid and that's even with some injuries i mean darius bratton has a high ankle sprain um the nickel corner so they've had to move guys around i think cone king has been out for a while i'm not 100 percent sure of, of his status i don't think that they've given us an update there um but but the secondary has been fine and i also think um playing you know five defensive backs i don't think think it's hurt them horribly or as bad as maybe one would have thought not having that extra linebacker and to stop the run just because that I thought secondary did well um in the running game sort of making plays and and coming up quickly um you know Lex Long was one guy I think he led the team in tackles um had a tackle for loss he he was all over the place when every running play gets into the secondary yes fair fair. (laughs) but but it's in comparison to last season but We'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, in comparison to last season where teams would just break off long plays, um, I, I think that the secondary has at least some more, I don't know, stability. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what word do you want to use there? But there's there, there's something there. And then, you know, we can get into the defensive line, but I thought that they, they were at least – they were definitely better than they were against Richmond. Well, yeah, I'm not – no one's blaming the secondary for the running game's uh, inability no. to s- stop out of the middle, but um... – that you know that this is the second game in the row where they've let the opposing running backs look like you know whatever the the advanced metrics for um when when uva is is letting first contact happen behind the line of scrimmage that's obviously the opposite <laughs> for for uva's run defense first you know in the opposing running backs i mean it's been it's been terrible um and it was in this game too um if if Virginia doesn't force the turnovers and credit to making great plays to force turnovers, but this would have been even more out of hand as a final score and earlier in the game, um, which sounds impossible for, for, for how quickly things fell apart, but you know, the turnovers can be sort of fluky and, and yeah, hopefully it's a sign of a good, a defense that's good at making plays, but they're not going to be able to rely on, forcing four turnovers a game or even a couple turnovers a game really but like in all likelihood so if they don't get some semblance of keeping the average running play under seven yards a carry for a starting running back i mean they're going to be in big trouble uh even if the offense stabilizes uh which you know i'm, I'm just being pessimistic here so i don't know paul you said you wanted to dispute something yeah, I did, the yes, Cody Brown averaged seven yards a carry. That's ugly. Um, but there was a lot of 13 yards, no yards, 13 yards, mm-hmm. no yards, as mm-hmm. opposed to like the Carolina game last year when they were averaging nine yards a carry, and it was literally nine <laughs> yards every time they touched the football. It, you know, right. So Brown's rushing stats were really buttressed by a couple of big runs that he had, I think mean, one in the first half, one in the second half of, of 30 or more yards, which are a problem. Explosive, giving up explosive plays as a defense are a problem, but there were also, going. you, know, you go through the drive chart, until we get into the third quarter, there were a lot of times that they would get yes they'd give up a a first down on a a 10 15 yard run but then 
stuff him, you know, or, or, or stop him short, uh, you know, mm-hmm. zero yards, two yards, stop the veto for two or three yards and then break up a pass and the and get off the field. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. And I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, the, the secondary, okay. There was a coverage bust on the tight end wheel route for the touchdown and Fentrell Cypress fell down on that long pass up the sideline. Yeah. So there's sort of a, but for those two big plays. And again, it's, you know, they're, you know, there before the grace of God or, or something. <laughs> um, but, you know, DeVito only had 196 yards and yeah. that's what 70 yards between those two plays combined that are, are so there, there was a lot of uh, that. That's why I think the defense, we saw the, the havoc it's going to create, you know, no, these are not, these aren't the, the last year's Georgia Bulldogs on defense. No one's saying that, but they're also not sure. last year's Cavaliers. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think that's, well, and to your point, uh, Illinois on third down was only five for 14. I mean, you know, that that's exactly. That's, yeah. No, not too shabby where for Virginia's defense, I mean, whereas uh, Virginia, is there anybody, anybody not looking at the box store? Want to take a guess at what Virginia was on third down? Ben, you got a guess or, or have you already looked at this? One recently? for a lot. Zero for sixteen on third down efficiency for the UVA they got one. No, they got a fourth down conversion. They were one for four on fourth down conversions. But uh, we've talked a lot about negative. Ben, you get you got any whether it be negative or positive. You got any last thoughts before we do our handing out our stars? Yeah, you know, I do think that philosophically they've kind of hit on something defensively. Um, in that you do want to just go ahead play five dbs whatever you can have light boxes um you can let up explosive runs occasionally because i think as we saw last year with the horror story that that defense was the alternative where you get gashed on the ground and through the air um it's much worse and especially as college football continues to shift more towards these high-powered passing attacks it's yeah probably good for us to commit more towards selling out to stop the pass. And if you're going to allow 15 yard runs every once in a while, if you're going to allow 30 yard runs every once in a while, I think that's a worthwhile trade-off philosophically. And I think they have the right ideas. And if they can bring in the talent, obviously it's year one of Tony Elliott's tenure. I think conceptually there's potential for a good defense, even if so much of that was overwhelmed by how ugly the offense looked against Illinois. That makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, I don't think the defense is anything like it was last year necessarily. Well, I mean, there were shades of it. There are like flashbacks of it on those big plays. But um, yeah, it, overall, it does seem to to be improved. And, and, and we've already talked about the depth that they have there is a big reason for that. But hopefully coaching as well, you know, tackling better, you know, having that 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 practice that, that benefits them there. So We'll see. I think something that's going to continue through the ups and downs of this year for me is is the shame of what was an all-American type offense and admittedly the opposite of an all-American type defense if there was continuity in the coaching staff and uh, into this season what are, what are we missing by having to go through the growing pains of a new coaching staff? It's just sort of a uh, just sort of a ugh, wouldn't would have liked to see you know the final year of the Armstrong offense with the the previous coachings, but that's just probably going to be a continual theme. And hey, hopefully, hopefully it works out that the season is actually better than it would have been <laughs> at, at the previous stop not left. We don't know, 
but uh before we close things up let's get to our stars this might be hard <laughs> because we only hand out three stars tradition here i'm get to sit this one out so uh yeah my rules uh <laughs> i'm not giving one out and it, it it's probably not going to be the the traditional constant brennan armstrong third star so we, we you all get the freedom of your own individual stars for the game paul i'm gonna kick things off with you i think it's I, mine's got to be cam butler um I, I think i liked both the disruption the disruption and sort of how he was playing playing um but there was a lot of of being the the leader of the defense um, right. a lot of of propping guys up when they made big plays helping get him in the right position um so I'll I'll go there for for Cam Butler. Sounds good, Ben. I think I'm going to have to go with Keaton Thompson uh, in a game where so many members of the offense looked just physically overmatched, intimidated as the game went on. Especially against that press coverage, you saw the receivers kind of get demoralized, which Tony Elliott alluded to in his press conference. Uh, I think Keaton was one of the few guys who was persistent and kind of kept fighting. He had five catches for 62 yards uh, team's leading receiver, at least in terms of receptions on the day. Uh, and if not a bright spot, a neutral spot in a very dark, gloomy performance by the offense. <laughs> all right. All right. Well-founded defense. I, I get it. All right. Uh, Zach. And when was the last time we had two defensive players get stars out of three? It's it, definitely been a while. It's been a while. Um, I'm going to go with Lex Long. I think I mentioned him a couple of times um, playing in that, that field free safety spot, um, 13 tackles, eight solo, um, one tackle for loss. I thought that sort of a coming out game uh, for him as a sophomore. And that's something that I know I've been talking about the secondary a lot, but that's something where um, if those, these sophomores in the secondary can step up, there can be some added stability because there are a couple seniors in there. Um, but sophomores like, Jonas Sanker, Lex Long, um, th those couple of guys, if those guys can sort of really, really continue to step up, then you can have some stabilization and some consistency um, in the secondary. And, uh, yeah, hopefully he can keep up that type of play as we hit ACC competition. All right. Yeah, I like it. That's a, that's a, that's a glimmer of hope there. Real quick, any reason to change any win over ODU predictions? I know uh, I'm not even going to ask about confidence level. Uh, we all know UVA sports can lose to anyone at any time. There's no such thing as a shoe-in. But uh, even if you don't even have to chime in on the mic, we're both everybody's still predicting at least – a win a w sound good okay zach you, you zach zach zach's borderline he's off exactly. the fence. <laughs> listen i i went in in our preseason pod i said that we beat illinois and i sort of saw illinois as this like litmus test for the rest of the season if you beat illinois get that win against a mediocre big 10 team behind you then then all cards are on the table all cards are off the table right now um and we I, virginia tech sucks but i don't know that uva <laughs> doesn't suck so i'm a little bit nervous i still think uva takes this one 
Um, fortunately, uh, as a note from the press conference, punter Daniel Sparks will likely be back. I know everyone okay. was clamoring for that information. Oh, thank so God. We'll no, legitimately, to... in no, that but, game, yeah, I was yeah. going like, why is the punting so yeah. bad when Caroline yeah. was like the punter guy? I was, yeah, it's oh. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially because he pinned them at, at the five in the first half. That was nice. Um, and then uh, one other thing from the press conference, Mike Green, uh, Bandit, sophomore, I think no longer with the team that's he he hasn't been on any depth charts i wouldn't go into that there have been rumors about his dismissal messy stuff um nothing that all right i i can confidently say on a podcast but um so that's a shame but but other than that i think the team is fairly healthy on that front so hopefully that means that we do beat edu not edu odu not good well good all right well Thanks for listening, folks. We'll try and be happier uh, after a big win against the Monarchs and take that state title. I guess they probably have to find a way to play JMU to really definitively uh, find a... Elliot said that today. He wants to play JMU, and I'm like, no, you don't. Oh, no. I know they're going to play the Hokies, but point being, if they beat the Monarchs who beat the Hokies, we get get some state power rankings uh, for the time being until November. But... uh, uh until then folks stay tuned to the blog for um some more pregame stuff probably some basketball news happy news hopefully <laughs> coming soon uh so check out streakingline.com and we'll be back next week go hoops 